Buenos dias a todos. Morning, everybody. Don't 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 worry. I, I'm I'm bilingual. All right. So uh, some of you you uh, use all of your Spanish when you say Yo quiero Taco Bell, right? Uh, that that's the extent of your Spanish. I understand that. I, I uh, that's okay. But uh, getting ready for the next uh, century, you better learn a little Spanish. Uh, it might be good for you. All right. Well, it's really good to be here this morning, and uh, it's uh, fun. We've been, uh, like uh, Mike said, in partnership with Christ Church of Oak Brook for a long time. So this morning, uh, Mike, uh, because he knows me and he's probably practiced my name a few times, uh, he says it great, Noel Castellanos. But uh, I was introduced once by a woman, and she was so nervous to say my name correctly. And uh, she was just like, okay, Noel Castellanos and pastor of La Vita community church that was tough for her and then she interviewed me a little bit before and she she said now what what are you passionate about well my passion is to reach the barrios of our nation so she introduces me and says this is pastor noel castellanos la vita community church and he's got a passion to reach the burritos of our nation Not quite right there, right? But back then, I weighed about 40 pounds more than I do today. So my wife says, uh, yeah, you reached a lot of burritos in your lifetime. (laughs) So anyway, uh, if I was to give a, a title to my message this morning, it would be Making Great Salsa in the barrios of our nation, making great salsa in the barrios of our nation. Now, I'm going to use that word barrio, which means a, a Latino neighborhood that's culturally and ethnically kind of, you know, a group of Latinos like where I live right now, 100,000 Mexican-American descent uh, residents in my neighborhood. I'm going to use it a little broader today to, to just talk about neighborhoods, especially those that are vulnerable, which is what my ministry has been focused on for the last 35 years. Well, a number of years ago, I went into a Barnes and Noble bookstore and I saw in the cooking section, uh, I saw a book entitled 50 Great Recipes for Salsa. And I thought, there's no way there's 50 great recipes. I mean, I, I just can't. So I picked it up, looked through it, and, you know, it was like, okay, a little fascinating. Put it down and then, uh, and, you know, I, I walked away and, and it, it has gotten me to think when we talk about ministry to the poor, and how to engage in ministry in tough places. How do you really work? And how, what's going to be um, uh, an approach that's sustainable, that's biblical, that's kingdom focused? And I want to suggest that there are many ways, just like there's many recipes to make uh, something like salsa. But I want to talk about a, a biblical recipe today. And one that is centered on the person of Jesus Christ. Okay? And here's my, here's my promise for today's talk. That if we're going to make a difference in our communities, we must embrace the six ingredients of, Je- of Jesus' recipe for transformation that we find in Luke chapter 4 and chapter 5. Okay? So that's where we're going. Now, I'm going to cover that whole chapter of, of, of Luke chapter 5, but quickly give you an overview so that you can see what these six ingredients are. Number one, uh, if we're going to make a difference in neighborhoods... And, and what, I, what I'm talking about is to really see a change in lives of people, but also in the fabric and makeup of that community, we must embrace Jesus's mission as our own, okay? Uh, if we're really going to do that, 
we've got to embrace Jesus' mission as our own. Shortly after Jesus began his public ministry, he was baptized in the Jordan by John, and then he was led into the desert desert to be tempted for 40 days and 40 nights before he goes back to Galilee, where the majority of his earthly ministry takes place. And he begins to teach in local synagogues with great response. Now, Everybody was praising him. People were hearing about him. But then he comes home. He comes to his hometown of Nazareth on on the Sabbath. And he goes into the synagogue like he had done many times before as he was growing up. And this time he was asked to stand up and read the scroll of Isaiah chapter 61. And here's what it says. Verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. Can I say it like this? In this passage, Jesus declares his mission statement that will define his earthly ministry. I contend that it also defines the core mission of the church for all time. Surprisingly today... Uh, we have uh, we have a, a kind of a new religious rock star that has come onto the scene, Pope Francis, and he seems to have captured the hearts of the entire world. Now, I would be remiss to mention that he's the first Latino pope, all right, which I'm a little bit excited about, right? So here's the first pope from the South that's not from uh, Europe, and he's this Argentine pope. And to boot, he's not only Latino, but he's an ex-bouncer, okay? And uh, what I, I think the whole world is impressed, whether, you know, we believe theologically in what he stands for or whatever, the world has been captured by his uh, embracing of the mission of Jesus to love and minister to the poor in unprecedented ways. He rejects the perks of his office, no red Gucci slippers, no uh, limo rides the way, you know, it was customary to do. He lives in his humble uh, 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 residence instead of the palatial palace. He seems to not miss an opportunity to stop and kiss people and hug people and even uh, to bend down and and clean and kiss the feet of somebody that uh, is homeless or has leprosy still. He's reminding us something very important that uh, I believe that this passage in Luke uh, 4 hits square on the nose. And that is that God puts the poor and the marginalized at the center of his ultimate love and concern. You cannot read that passage and not really capture that. In the ministry that I lead of CCDA, I get to travel all over the country, and I see people uh, everywhere that have been captured by this idea of giving their lives to the poor. And whenever I meet a person who uh, has embraced Jesus' mission uh, as their own mission, uh, I've noticed that everything begins to change. We begin to find ways to recalibrate our lives to put the poor at the center of our ministry activity and priority. The last 25 years, I've been connected to Lawndale Community Church that many of you know about. I came to start the Spanish-speaking ministry in the neighboring uh, uh, Mexican community. And our church has been an example of people who have sought to live out this mission statement. By living in the neighborhood, by serving in the neighborhood, and by worshiping in the neighborhood. The space where we worship says a lot about our mission. Instead of worshiping in a beautiful temple, we worship 
on Sunday mornings in a rundown gym. We made a decision a number of years ago that instead of spending 10 to $20 million to build a new worship center to fit a 1,000 people in there that we have on Sunday mornings, that we would invest our resources instead to serving the poor residents of our community. Now, I want you to know that uh, where we're located in one of the poorest neighborhoods in the whole country, that, that that's, that's embodies who we are. That's the mission that we have. And so that decision came out of just the reality of uh, where we're situated and what God has called us to. And I want to say that this is the kind of thing that happens when we embrace Jesus's mission as our own. The second ingredient that we find in Luke chapter 5 is uh, found in the story uh, in Luke 5, 8 through 11. And uh, listen to what it says. Uh, and it's, uh, the, the, the ingredient is enlisting others to accomplish the mission. Okay, enlisting others to accomplish the mission. Uh, verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' uh, knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats uh, on shore, left everything and followed him. Well, right after declaring his mission statement of bringing good news to the poor, Jesus begins to enlist a team of men and women to do what? to implement his mission of making sure that the people that others reject, the poor, the marginalized, know that they are loved and cared for by God. Okay? We often read this passage in Jesus' declaration to Peter that he become a fisher of men as a statement that only relates to evangelism. It's a great evangelism passage. You probably heard it somewhere on a teaching about evangelism. But I contend this morning that it's much more than just uh, Jesus calling Peter to say, you're just going to go around telling people about my love. I think Jesus is telling Peter that now that he has been captured by his own, by Jesus' love, that he's coming to be part of a team that will bring transformation to lives on this planet uh, that fulfills his mission. So Jesus declares his mission. I'm, I'm here to preach good news to the poor. I'm here to make sure that those that are most out know that God loves them. And now I want to recruit a team to help me accomplish that mission. You know, uh, every great leader knows that the only way to accomplish difficult things is to bring other people on board. There's nothing that we can do by ourselves. And Jesus does that. He begins to accomplish that by uh, calling Peter and James and John and all of us here today. He calls us to be a part of that team that will accomplish this mission every year. At our annual CCDA conference, we have about 3,000 people from all over the country that have been captured by a desire to do this. And they're amazing men and women. A lot of times it's young families with kids, and they're, they're, people think they're crazy for wanting to move into the hood. But one of the first things I tell them is, look, don't try to be the great, you know, white hope or brown hope in my case, right? Uh, make sure you go with the team. Make sure you, you, you bring other people along. And, and, and we need each other. We need, we cannot do the work of bringing transformation to a city like Chicago or any other place in the country where there's tremendous need if we try to do it alone. 
Even Jesus enlists others to accomplish his mission of proclaiming and demonstrating good news to the poor. So we embrace Jesus' mission as our own. And then uh, we begin to enlist a team to accomplish that mission. And thirdly, we extend personal touch. We extend personal touch. One of my favorite stories is found in verses uh, 12 and 13, and it's the story of the man with leprosy. And he comes to Jesus, he falls at his feet at the ground, and he begs him in verse 12, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And then in verse 13, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. I love this encounter with the man with leprosy because it demonstrates the way that Jesus reaches out to people up close and personal. He could have healed this man from a distance, but he doesn't. Not only does he do do the unexpected, but he does what every respectable Jew, and especially a Jewish rabbi, would avoid at all costs, touching somebody who's unclean. Over the many years that I've been involved in ministry in the Mexican barrios of our nation, the most impactful thing I have done has been doing life with my neighbors, just being close to them, just hanging out with them, uh, not some super, uh, you know, fantastic sermon I've preached or not some great deal that I did. Uh, it's been just the opportunity to love people and let them know that God loves them through personal touch. I have a good friend who's the director of the largest rescue mission in Los Angeles, Skid Row in L.A. If you were to go and see it, it's almost surreal. Uh, Tens of thousands of people living on the street with the great weather. You know, people are drawn there. And if you're out there on the streets, you'll see every kind of crazy need. You see people, you know, sleeping under uh, uh, alleyways and stairways. And, you know, they, they push around their carts full of just what we would call junk. It's all that they have in their life. And many of them, you know, they are suffering from mental illness. Well, my friend Andy has a huge building right there on the corner of uh, Fifth and San Pedro. And uh, he does everything he can to bring these men and women into uh, a safe place to eat and uh, get a shower and shelter. But it's a difficult job and many folks don't even want help of any kind. Well, I've seen Andy go down into the streets and get down and dirty with individuals that have been stripped of dignity by their hard lives. And not, uh, they don't only need Jesus, but they also need a shower, a good meal, a clean bed, a safe environment. And can I just, you know, be so bold as to say many of them, what they need is human touch. They just need a, 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 a loving embrace that is not something that's trying to take advantage of them sexually or in any other way. It's just somebody saying, I know that you're a human being. I look into your eyes and you're, you were created with dignity. God loves you. And I want to demonstrate that by touching you. Bible studies are needed. Programs are needed. But they can never replace the need for personal touch. Okay? The fourth ingredient that I think is absolutely necessary if we're going to bring about change in neighborhoods is we need to exercise bold faith. Exercise bold faith. Verses uh, 17 to 26 is the story of a man who's paralyzed. And we see in the scripture that Jesus comes into town. He begins to preach at somebody's home. And uh, it says that he was filled with power, so he was healing people, and all kinds of miracles are taking place. Well, uh, 
these uh, guys find out about it, and they have a, a friend who's paralyzed, so they take their friend, and they go and bring their friend to the house with Jesus. It says in verse 19, what they could not find a way to get into the house because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, lowered him on his mat through tiles in the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, your, uh, your sins are forgiven. Okay, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who uh, were, began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he takes his mat and he, and he goes out and it's declared they were filled with awe. Everybody was filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things here today. Well, this passage is filled with so much rich theology about God's concern for both people's hearts and souls, their eternal destiny, but also their human reality. The suffering and, and the, 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 uh, the hurt and the pain that people endure, especially when they're living in chronic poverty. Jesus heals the young man of his sins, but he also heals his body, which is exactly the kind of approach that we encourage our CCDA ministries to employ in their communities. And what impresses me in this story about these friends that come and bring their, uh, this paralyzed man before Jesus is the bold faith that they exercise. I, you know, I, I just, uh, when we were in young life, we would tell this story all the time. If it had been, a, uh, you know, a few old folks like Mike and I that come, we would have said, oh man, shucks, we tried, and then we would have gone home. But here these guys come, they must have been young and, you know, still full of vision and energy because when they encountered a challenge, they said, not, not a big deal. Let's just jump on the roof, tear it off, and we'll, we'll make Jesus, you know, have to uh, heal our friend, right? Well, that's exactly what they did. Jesus looks up and he says, uh, man, your faith, uh, I, it's astonishing. I can't believe what uh, you did. Uh, I think that that is the kind of faith that we need to demonstrate uh, if we're going to make a difference. I uh, would love to see uh, an environment cultivated where men and women can dream bold dreams to meet the needs of, of the world today, meet the needs of our community today. Almost 30 years ago, uh, another friend of mine, a uh, guy that uh, uh, was about ready to move his family into one of the toughest neighborhoods in Baltimore called Sandtown, uh, Alan uh, had two little kids, recently married, and he was, uh, he was, you know, getting ready to move into this black neighborhood. He was going to be the only white guy in his family there in that community. And uh, right before they made that move, he was playing basketball with these kids. He was thrown into the wall by accident, right? It was a basketball accident. He becomes paralyzed from the neck down. For the next five years, their surgeries, their therapy, all the emotional and physical adjustment to that new reality in his life. And all of a sudden, at the end of five years, 
him and his wife said, it's time to uh, move into Sandtown. And as you can imagine, everybody thought he was crazy. What are you doing? I mean, Alan, that was a great dream before, but now you've got to move on and do something else. But Alan exercised bold faith. He said, no, uh, this is what God has called us to do. We're going to do it. For the next 25 years, Alan and his family began one of the uh, most effective Habitat for Humanity ministries in the whole country. Susan started a Christian school in the neighborhood for the children. The school was doing such a, a great job of educating the kids that the Baltimore School District came to Susan and said, would you turn this into a public school? We'll fund it and we'll let you, you know, we just, we need what you're doing. But you know what? We're a Christian school. They said, we don't care what you are. We want you to just educate our kids because they're doing so poorly. And so Alan and Susan for 25 years have been given their lives like that. And then a few years ago, Alan died. Okay. And at his funeral that I was at, uh, an African-American young man stood up and he said, I used to be an ex-con, but now I'm an icon for Jesus. And he says, uh, Alan led me to Christ and he mentored me. And he says, uh, you know, uh, he made such, he was used greatly by God. And this is what he said about Alan at his funeral. If Alan had come into our neighborhood as, as the great white hope, able-bodied and full of pride and overconfidence, his ministry would have failed. But because he had to come in humility, armed with love and with bold faith, God used him powerfully in Sandtown. Okay? When we're gripped with God's vision to preach good news to the poor and the vulnerable in this world, and we go in humility to be his hands and feet, miracles happen. Lives and entire communities are transformed by the power of God. So we exercise bold faith. The fifth ingredient that we find in this great uh, Luke 5 recipe is uh, that we've got to endure criticism for uh, ministering to those on the margins. Okay, we've got to endure criticism for ministering to those on the margins. Verse 27, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said. And uh, Levi got up left everything and followed him. See the pattern? Uh, You know, folks encounter Jesus, they leave everything and begin to follow him. And then Levi held a banquet uh, for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to the disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call the righteous, not, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repent. There's another version that I love uh, even more than how this is in, in NIV. It says, it is not those that think they are healthy that need a doctor. Okay? Uh, it, it, it's those that understand that they really have a problem. You know what I've come to realize over 25 years in Chicago and another 10 years before that? That there are only two kinds of people in this world, really. Okay? They're the down and out, which is what we associate a lot of times with this kind of urban uh, CCD8 ministry where we're working in vulnerable communities. But then there's the up and out, right? Uh, folks who have everything seemingly that they need uh, materially, but spiritually they're bankrupt and just as empty and poor as those who are living in destitute poverty. And uh, this passage teaches us that, uh, you know, we're called to reach out to those who are most on the margins and that when we do that, 
uh, often will be criticized, okay, by uh, the status quo. I mean, and, and, and here's, the, here's the sobering thing about this, folks. Uh, the longer we walk with Jesus, the more we become the status quo. The more we forget how we used to be the more we forget what, how life used to be without God in our lives. And so when we commit to ministering among the poor, we can often expect extreme criticism. While it seems that we should be praised for reaching out to men and women who are suffering and those that others reject, what we, that we should be encouraged, often the opposite happens. There's a term that uh, is used or that people throw around in the work of, that I do of Christian community development that, I, that we hear all the time. And it's this term called NIMBY. Anybody ever heard that term? NIMBY, it's an acronym. It stands for this, not in my backyard. Okay? Often when a church or ministry attempts to start a warming center for the homeless during the cold winter, or a church wants to open a reentry home or a recovery program, the neighbors get concerned. They're often worried about their safety, uh, about their property values. The idea of serving the poor seemed great when it wasn't in my own backyard. It seemed sexy when it didn't have to impact me directly. Okay, Um, right now uh, I am involved in one of the most challenging projects that I've ever tackled. Uh, We are working with a number of ministries around the country that are connected to CCDA to address this unaccompanied minor situation that you've been reading about and seeing on television. You know, every day there's a report. In years past, there might have been uh, uh, 10,000 or so children that ended up on our border caught. Okay, so they didn't even make it into the country. Today, they estimate that there may be as many as 80,000 children before the end of the year like that. Imagine children, maybe as young as six, seven years old, but most of them are, you know, young teenagers. They come to our border and uh, they are uh, fleeing poverty in Central America uh, because of uh, poverty gangs, uh, because of drug uh, lords and all of that. And uh, by law, these children who have uh, reached our border, and they come from a country that does not adjoin the U.S. like Mexico or Canada, they have to be processed in a way that provides them with an opportunity to go before an immigration judge to determine if they qualify for asylum. And then they have to be reunited with a family member instead of being released on their own. Uh, and, and this can often take months to do, okay? Uh, this has become a huge political uh, issue, very controversial. While these children as young as, as six and seven years old are, being, are waiting to be deported, our government offers temporary shelter for these kids. So the need is so great that they reached out to one of our partners and said, would you help us open up some of these centers so that we can have these kids in a good, safe place? And they say, if the church is involved to help love on these kids, we're all for that. It's such a desperate need. Instead of looking at this, for me, as a political issue, uh, you know what I've begun to do? I, I just begun to ask myself, if my child were in that situation, how would I want my child to be treated? And instead of making it something about politics, it's, it's really about uh, demonstrating the love of God to these children who are here in a desperate uh, situation. Uh, what I'm learning 
is that sometimes we must take risks and endure criticism in order to accomplish Jesus' mission of preaching good news to the poor. I don't know what it is that you all need to do or are doing that maybe brings up uh, criticism, but I believe that that's one of the prices that we pay when we embrace this commitment to ministering to the poor. Finally, sixth ingredient is that we've got to embrace change. I love the theology of Luke and his gospel. Because you read the you read the by you know Luke's gospel and he's weaving this story about what it means to really follow Jesus. In chapter four, verse eighteen, we start with this idea: Jesus has come to preach good news to the poor. He just makes that declaration, and then the first part of chapter five of Luke, he tells all these very vivid stories that demonstrate how Jesus does that in a very practical way. And at the end of this teaching. Okay, here's the last little uh, bit of his teaching, uh, verses 33 to 39. He tells two little parables to kind of close up this section of his gospel. And I want to just focus on chapter, on verse 37. This is what Jesus said. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, listen to this, no, new wine must be poured into new wineskins, and no one after drinking the old wine wants the new, for they will say the old is better. This final ingredient that I'm talking about here must be present in the church if we're going to be faithful to Jesus' mission of proclaiming good news to the poor in our world. And this is what it is. We've got to embrace change in order to make the poor and ministry to the poor a priority. Every day, individual Christians and churches have to make very difficult decisions about how and where to invest our time and our resources. You know, do we spend more on ourselves? Do we indulge more on me? Do I get this kind of car or that kind of car? Do I, should I sacrifice this? Should I do this? Churches have to do it all the time. You know, where am I going to spend our, our, our corporate resources? Are we going to hire more staff? Are we going to do programs internally, big, uh, build a bigger worship service? Are we going to do more in missions? Are we going to do more locally, uh, internationally? What do we do? How do we be faithful to uh, being agents of the kingdom as a church or as a ministry or as individuals? This final parable that Jesus uh, teaches us in Luke chapter 5 warns us that confronted with the opportunity to be filled with his purposes and priorities in our lives, we will be tempted to resist change. We'll be tempted to keep the status quo instead of embracing a lifestyle of ministry to the most vulnerable in society. The people will say, we want the old wine, but we don't want the new. We don't want the new. Even if we become convinced biblically that it's the right thing to do. When I was pastoring in La Vita a number of years ago, uh, Every Sunday almost, you know, we would have uh, a potluck after church. That's what Mexican churches do, right? And so we'd do this potluck, and then uh, and everybody would eat together, bring a plate if you could. And one uh, Christmas, uh, right before Christmas, we did a potluck on a Sunday morning, and I uh, decided I was going to make uh, holiday salsa. 
Kind of like one of the recipes I saw in that cookbook, right, years before. And so I took cranberries and chopped them up, and I took some walnuts and chopped them up, and cilantro and onions and jalapeno peppers, and, man, put them all together. It looked fantastic, and I thought, man, people are going to be so impressed with their pastor, you know, making this great salsa. Well, I put it on the table, and what I began to notice as the potluck went on is that nobody was eating my salsa. It was just sitting there all kind of by itself. And I'm thinking, what's going on? Finally, a guy by the name of Manuel comes and puts his arm around me. Manuel is the first guy I helped lead to Christ when I started that ministry, you know, 25 years ago. Puts his arms on me and says, Pastor, no puedes hacer salsa sin los tomates. Okay? He said, Pastor, you can't make real salsa without tomatoes. So he looked at that stuff. There was no tomatoes. He said, that's not real salsa. That's, you know, what is that? And this morning, that is my challenge to you today as members of Christ Church uh, of Oak Brook. But more importantly, as people that are wanting to draw closer to Christ, that we cannot be the, the kingdom people that God has called us to be without the six ingredients that I talked about this morning. Embrace Jesus' mission as our own, right? To, to, to do ministry together as a team, that God engages us to do that, that we uh, do it with personal touch. The poor don't need another program that's just impersonal. They need somebody that will love them, uh, that we would uh, exercise bold faith, bold faith, that we'd be open and willing to endure criticism to do what God calls us to do. And then finally, that we would embrace change to accommodate the priority of ministry to those on the margins and to the poor. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you, and we thank you for this day. And we thank you for this amazing recipe found in Luke chapter 4 and 5 that's centered on the person of Jesus who we follow, that uh, helps us to understand how we can make a difference in our world, how to make great salsa, in the bodies of our nation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.